the diamond, I realized the diamond. that I have to be The Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. Here we have some navy blue leather clogs with brown stitching all over the top of the shoe. The sole of the shoe is black and very flat. On the shoe there's a quite a few mud marks and a little elasticated strap to the side. The inside of the shoe is brown and they are size 5. These shoes belong to Ali Wilby. This is her story. If you're a refugee and you've set out from home looking for the, the utopia of Europe and you're walking for eight hours a day, your shoes get wet, they get worn and they start rubbing and you end up with blisters and you haven't got any plasters to put on top of your blisters and you've got to keep going. And then your blisters get infected and it, the pain that you feel with every step is unbearable, but you know you have to keep going. I can't imagine, you know, what, what that must be like. And the condition of these guys' feet was, was unreal. It was, they were just so swollen and infected. The soles have come apart from the shoe just from walking all those miles. get up in the morning and I go swimming for 40 minutes, come home, have my breakfast, go outside and muck out the horses, feed them before I go swimming. I go to various classes, Zumba, Pilates, I do play badminton very badly. I remember a, a cine film of me when I was three, I think, and I'm at uh, a park, Duffy Park in Aberdeen, and there's this great big enormous slide, and I'm climbing up there and wheeling down the slide, and I'm up and down and up and down and up and down, and I'm still the same, I still, I haven't slowed down, although having said that, since I got back from volunteering, rather than fleeing around um, at 100 miles an hour, I think I've maybe gone down to 90 miles an hour. I was brought up in Aberdeen and I lived there until I was 17 and then I went to nursing college in Edinburgh and then I went to Newcastle to do midwifery and then I met my husband, he was the boy next door and he was a civil engineer. Um, we, we'd always fancied building a house. This place that we're in now, the plot came on the market and it was owned by a friend of mine. It was just 
serendipity. So we knocked down the cottage, had this built, and uh, during the process of building it, my husband uh, developed bowel cancer. And two years later, he dies. But he did actually live here for 18 months. And he died in this house. So that was that was quite nice. And that was 12 years ago. So <laughs> I decided um, that I would really like to put something back into nursing. And I quite fancied working for Medicine Sans Frontier. Got accepted for an interview. And I thought, you know, this is my two-year adventure. And it seems a waste of time sitting around at home. You know, I want to go and do stuff. So I thought, well, I've got a lot of empathy for the refugees that are pouring into into Europe. And Cali is pretty bad. I'll just pop across on, on the ferry, waiting to hear from MSF. And I was there when the jungle was up and running, which was the big camp. Um, and at one time there were 10,000 people living living there and they were living in tents. And uh, I couldn't get over the size of it. It was absolutely humongous. And it was right on the edge of a motorway. And there was this great big high fence, wire fence, to protect the refugees or to contain them and there was police presence absolutely everywhere and the the police were pretty aggressive towards refugees and towards the volunteers and it was just acres and acres of tents and when it was when it was raining it was just awful it was just so muddy um, the whole site was an old asbestos tip so it was probably, you know, highly contagious ground. But the one, the one thing that really amazed me was how resilient these refugees are. You could walk down a street in inverted commas and it was restaurant after restaurant. These people are just desperate to work and desperate to um, have a job. You sort of sat down and uh, played games or just sat and listened to their stories um, and it, it's actually quite hard when you listen to somebody's story about how they ran away from home and about how their brothers were murdered and how their sisters were raped and it's it's really hard to sort of try and bury that but but you have to you know you're there to do a job and you can't you can't take it all on board when I got uh, called for my interview with MSF it was in London and uh, so I went home on the ferry and I had never actually thought about how easy it is being British I went along to the desk showed my passport got given um, a little plastic thing saying I was a, a foot passenger, got on a bus, got taken to the ferry, walked up the ramp, sat down in the ferry, and it was only then that it dawned on me how privileged I am. And it is all pure chance as to where you were born. Any one of us could have been born in Syria, but we weren't. And I'd never, ever thought about it before. And I sat in that ferry 
and I cried. And I worked in the jungle until it got uh, dismantled. Um, then I worked in Paris, Serbia, Alexandria in Greece, Lesvos, Thessaloniki, and my last stint was in Serbia. Lesvos, the camp was up quite a steep hill, about 40 minute walk from the volunteers' accommodation. And there was one day we'd been working and this man from Spain had come. He was a volunteer and he was probably about 30 and it was his day one. And uh, we're walking down along the coastline. Waves are crashing, refugees are fishing, sun is shining, sky is blue yet again. And you look out towards Mytilene Castle illuminated in the the setting sun and uh, I said to him well what do you make of the whole situation then I said I think it's a an absolutely hopeless situation he said I disagree Ali he said I have got hope now which really surprised me And I said, uh, why? What on earth gives you hope? And he said, I have hope because people like you are coming over here and making a difference and helping out. You know, if you can give a little bit of hope to somebody, then hope can spring, spring out of that. And I said, wow. I said, well, I'd never really thought of it like that before. But I suppose you have a point. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm special in any shape or form. I just feel like I was given this opportunity out of, you know, a bad deal that was dealt to me when my husband dying. And I feel privileged to be able to do it. I feel privileged to have been able to, to help out. My husband's name was Rob, and he was six foot five, dark, handsome, a great thinker. He was very tolerant of me because I'm incredibly impulsive, and uh, he was he was my soulmate. Um, uh, he designed a pond, so after he died, I had the pond dug and. His ashes are down by the pond. So this is a very special place for me spiritually. But there is a lot of upkeep. It's very rural. And before I went off volunteering, I was dissatisfied, I think. It was a lot of upkeep and I was getting a bit fed up of it. When I got back home, the people who had rented my house hadn't really looked after it and it was absolutely filthy. It took me a long time to clean And I looked at it totally differently. I thought, how privileged am I? And so far, since I got back home on the 1st of October, I haven't regretted maintaining this place at all. And and I hope I never will. I think maybe I've been given a lesson. 
that I live a very privileged life, not only because I am British, but because of where I where I live. And it is beautiful. I, you know, rural Worcestershire is beautiful and I'm surrounded by beautiful countryside. I've got lovely neighbours, I've got lovely friends and um, I've just met a new bloke. <laughs> and so far, so good. You seem quite normal. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, I feel content. Ali's story was produced by Maya Bosworth. Her shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.